All right, all right. Good morning. Got a great night's sleep last night, so I'm feeling good today. Hope everyone's uh, hope everyone's feeling the same. Wait for a couple folks to jump on here. Uh, while we're doing that, I would like to remind everyone. I'm going to stream this at the bottom of this uh, stream this at the bottom of this video. Um, February second through the 4th, 2023. This is coming up real quick in a couple weeks. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, looks like about three weeks, a little bit less than three weeks. We are having our, uh, our Sub2 Empire Ultimate Creative REI Blueprint here in St. Louis. And uh, if anybody is, um, is looking to really take a deep dive into, uh, really, it's, really it's the framework that we use um, that... This framework is uh, was built around doing creative deals, and it's uh, it's just um, it's kind of like a uh, it's just a punch list, really, uh, on how we actually do these creative deals and how we're able to be so consistent with creative deals. So, if you are interested in taking a look at uh, at what we're doing, head over to sub2event.com and um, check it out. Uh, we've got uh, a great lineup of, of speakers and uh, tons and tons and tons of knowledge. All right, let's see what we got going on here. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing, man? How do we avoid dealer status from the IRS when we're buying and selling on terms in volume within 12 months of using the installment sales method? Well, you know what? I... Um, I had uh, something else planned, but I think that's a a very very good question. That is a really good question. So uh, that's what we're going to roll with today. We'll just roll with that one. Um, I'll put off um, I'll put off what I was going to talk about before, and uh, and let's roll with that because um, a lot of folks don't realize that that's when they when they get into this. Uh, Hold on, this thing scrolling at the bottom is really bothering me. And also, I'm going to throw the chat up here. There we go. All right, so yeah, um, dealer status. That's a really, really interesting question. Um, so let's let's just go ahead and um, let's define this first. Let me, I'm going to take some notes here. And... <clears throat> All right, I'm a little off guard. All right, so dealer status. Let's talk about this. All right. Let me make sure that I get the... I'm going to record my screen just so I can use this as a uh, as a video a little bit later on. All right. All right. There we go. Okay. Last time I'm going to say dealer status. So what is dealer status and... Um, more importantly, how do you get that designation, right? So, <clears throat> so in the eyes of the IRS, um, 
Okay, first let's let's back up to what a dealer actually is. Let's define what a dealer actually is. A dealer is someone who gets into a uh, into a real estate deal with the intent to sell that property. So, for example, fix and flippers. Fix and flippers are are dealers, right? Because they are not holding on to a property. And you are correct in that twelve months. Um, so there, there is a, there's this intent when you get into a real estate deal, there's this, you have to have for tax purposes, you have to know what you kind of have to have an idea about what you're going to do as far as dispositioning that property. All right. So if, if your intent from the get go is to turn around and flip that property or sell that property, you are considered a dealer on that deal. All right. And this is on a deal by deal basis, by the way. So this is on a per property basis. So I can go out and, um, you know, I can go out and buy a portfolio or build a portfolio of rental properties and still continue to do the flips without my rental properties being subject to dealer status. Okay. Doesn't mean that if you're audited that the IRS isn't going to look, <laughs> look a little bit deeper into your, your rental portfolio, but as long as they're purely rentals, uh, your intent is not to sell them. And so ultimately that, that rental portfolio or those properties in that, in that rental portfolio are going to be subject to capital gains versus, uh, versus, uh, well, now we get kind of get into the IRS stuff, but, um, so those would be subject to capital gains versus, um, ordinary income. <clears throat> and what, what wholesalers and flippers also know, um, as uh, self-employment tax. So that's one thing that I think a lot of wholesalers when they get in this business, they don't realize that a, a large, large, large chunk of their earnings, uh, if they don't actually write off some of their expenses, a huge portion of their earnings, that is considered active income. And so a, a very large portion of their earnings actually go to taxes. <clears throat> a huge portion. We're talking like Let's say that you are, um, let's say that you're in the 30% tax bracket and, you know, you sell a house. Uh, I don't know. Maybe your gain is, maybe your gain is a hundred thousand. I'm, that might be a little extreme, but maybe your gain is a hundred thousand. You have a 30% ordinary income tax that you're going to pay on that, on that hundred thousand dollars that you have earned plus an additional 15 and some change percent in self-employment tax, right? So, I mean, you're talking, that's 45% of your earnings are going to taxes, right? That is a huge, so on a $100,000 sale, if you don't have the deductions, if you don't take the, uh, you know, take advantage of the tax code, um, you're looking at for a $45,000 tax bill right there. All right. Now this rule. Um, so, well, wait a minute. Let me let me back up. So, um, what is the opposite of dealer status? So, so where do you? I guess where you where do you want to be? Um, if you are a dealer, if the opposite in the eye in the eyes of us, you actually you want to be in the investor category. Okay. Right? So, um, so instead of being a dealer, you want to be considered an investor because. Uh, investments are not, um, 
investments are, are subject to a totally different uh, part of the tax code, right? By the way, guys, I keep throwing, I keep slinging around tax code and everything. Everybody has to understand I am not a tax, uh, I'm not a tax strategist, a tax advisor, a CPA, none of that stuff. All right. So I'm just telling you, um, I'm going to, I'm just kind of regurgitating uh, what, uh, what my tax strategist slash CPA has told me. All right. So, so investor status versus dealer status. Um, what people don't understand is that this also applies to installment sales. And so an installment sale Okay. Okay, that's that's uh, something separate. Uh an installment sale in the eyes of the IRS is is, you know, if you're selling on seller financing. So, uh, this would definitely apply to you if you are selling on seller financing. So if you are using contract for deed, if you are, um, if you know, if you're selling on mortgage wrap, uh, any any seller financing that you offer is subject to this uh, to this particular uh, topic that we're talking about. Unfortunately, though, with installment sales, here's where the here's where the real kicker is with installment sales. If you, if you turn around, let's say you pick up a property, you immediately sell this property, all right? Unfortunately for you, dealer status means that you are taxed on the entire gain of that sale, whether it's an installment sale or not. So I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you bought a house. Um, it's January right now. So let's say that you bought a house January 1st. And I'm just, I'm going to pull random numbers, all right? They're going to be round numbers. You bought a house January 1st, you, pay, you paid 100K for it, right? This is your cost basis. This is your cost basis for, for tax purposes, right? Let's say you then immediately you sold that house to an owner-occupied buyer on installments, right? So you sold it on contract for deed or something, but you sold it for 150K. You now have, in the eyes of the IRS you have a $50,000 gain, okay? So let's say in that deal that you took a uh, you took a $10,000 down payment, right? You took a $10,000 down payment and you received principal and interest. Uh, I don't know, maybe your payments were, I don't know, 800 bucks a month, all right? So you are taking, let me pull up my calculator here. So essentially, you've taken 10K. And your income, your so your total intake for this year will be, let's say if you, you know, if you sold, if you bought it in January, you sold in January, your entire income on this property, meaning your principal and interest income and the down payment that you took, is going to come out to uh, it's going to come out to $19,600. That's $800 per month uh, for 12 months, plus the 10K that you've taken in down payments. All right. So keep that number in mind, $19,600. Your tax basis is not the down payment and the principal slash interest income that you've taken, that $19,600. That's not your tax basis. Your tax basis is actually the 15K, uh, I'm sorry, the 50K 
earnings. So it's the gain. So the 50K gain on that on that deal. All right. So what that means is, let's say, again, you're in the 30 percent tax bracket. What that's going to mean for you. Let me make sure. Yeah, what that's going to mean for you is that. On that 15, uh, on that 50K, I keep saying 15, but I'm sorry. Um, on that 50K, bring up another calculator here. You are looking at a, you're looking at paying $15,000 in ordinary, in taxes on ordinary income, because that is considered ordinary income. The 50K is considered ordinary income at that point, if you're a dealer. So, you're going to, if you're in a 30% tax bracket, you're going to pay $15,000 in taxes on that, uh, on that, uh, gain, but that is not all. You're also going to be subject to the self-employment tax. This is FICA. This is, um, so this is all, all of your supposed benefits that you get from, from your federal government, right? So this is uh this is social security. This is you paying into the system. You are going to be subject to another 15 point, uh, I think it's like 15 and an eighth or something like that, right? You're going to be subject to that in addition to your the other tax that you've already paid on the income, right? On the on that 50K. So you're looking at a total. Um, Seventy seventy six hundred um, plus 15. Yeah, you're looking at a total tax liability of over $22,000. And guess what? Remember that 19,600, whatever, that's all we've collected on this. You're actually still, you're still going to owe at the end of the year. You're, you're in the negative now at this point, right? Because you've only taken in 19,000 and some change, but your tax liability is 22,000. So not only has that wiped out your down payment, any down payment money that you've received, uh, now you actually are going. Are now you're now you're. I'm sorry, not just your down payment. That's actually your uh, your total income on the property. Now you're now you're another four thousand dollars in the hole that you have to pay in taxes because remember that tax basis is the is the um, difference between the purchase price and the sales price. So that's that fifty k. So you can see how this could be super super problematic. I mean, you're talking uh, you're talking a huge bill. So I guess the question is, and um, probably some of you, maybe you're thinking like, well, don't you, uh, you know, don't you sell all of your properties on, um, on installment sales? And the answer is yes. I sell all of my single family. Um, well, not all of them. I've actually started to monetize, um, monetize uh, a stream where, you know, um, Maybe I'm buying properties in, in areas that I don't really care for. Um, I would have normally passed those passed on those deals, but um, I've actually brought in a partner uh, who loves those things, and so uh, it's kind of a mutual uh, mutual benefit there. But anyway, m most of my properties that I, you know, that I cherry pick and I sell, um, I sell on installment sales. Um, they are subject to this particular rule. They are subject to um, dealer status, all right, and that's just what I'm I'm willing to accept. So, <clears throat> the question then becomes, and I sell most of my properties on uh, on contract for deed, right? So, 
Um, the question, I guess, then becomes, how do you avoid being tagged as a dealer? And I'm talking to, I'm talking about myself here. And the short answer to that is I don't, I am, uh, I do not, uh, there's no way around it really. Um, and I'm certainly not going to be taken to task by the IRS and, and, uh, you know, have to end up paying some large tax bill. Uh, so really what you have to do is you have to, you have to think about the activity, um, that you are doing and plan for its tax ramifications. It's all that you can really do in this situation. Luckily, there are, uh, you know, there are several benefits to being a dealer. If that sounds, uh, you know, that might sound a little crazy, but there are some benefits to, to being a dealer. Um, and you have to remember, this is all done on dealer status is on a deal by deal basis. All right. So, so let's just talk about a few ways to actually uh, deal with this scenario. Um, I would say that the very first, hey, um, Jonathan, I can't really read your, I don't, oh, okay. Also, yeah, it's just mistyped a little bit. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that question here after, uh, after we answer this. But where are we at? Oh, um, Several ways to deal with this. Number one, um, I beg of you, do not go out and hire just any random CPA or, or tax person, tax preparer, tax strategist. Um, I would hire certainly someone that, uh, a CPA, for example, I would hire someone that understands real estate, first of all, and maybe has a large customer base of investors or maybe as an investor themselves. They will understand this, all right? And what they're going to be able to do for you is they are going to be able to better guide you through a strategy for minimizing your tax liability as a dealer, okay? So uh, so make sure that you have a good, good CPA. Um, here's, here's one of the things, one of the kind of, a, it's not really a benefit, it is a benefit, but because we're t in totality here, we're talking about taxes and very few of us actually, um, actually receive any benefits at all from paying taxes. But, uh, that's my, uh, that's my little dig at the, at the, uh, at my, at the tax code. Um, but the good thing is, is as a dealer, you get to take deductions. So, you know, if I'm a fix and flipper and I, and my intent is to uh, sell a property, I'm a dealer. But for those of you have, that have done fix and flips, you know that, you know, just the just the earnings that you make on um, on any of your fix and flips, you know that you have deductions in there. So you can take, you, you know, you can take all allowable deductions. You can kind of apply the fix and flip model to this seller finance model. And so if you have, um, you know, if you have upfront costs, like you have, you um, you know, capital purchases, you, you know, you're putting a roof on something, you're putting, um, um, you know, large ticket items, uh, you get to, uh, you get to appre uh, depreciate those prop those, I'm sorry, you get to depreciate those capital expenditures over time. Uh, then you have fix up, you have labor, you have uh, materials, utilities, all of the, all of the normal stuff that you would get on a fix and flip project, you get to take those deductions as well as a dealer on your seller finance deals, right? So, um, so there's that. 
Uh, one of the really, really common things that, um, and actually this is something that we're, we're really, really thinking about, uh, not just because of tax, uh, tax benefits, but um, one of the things that we're thinking about is selling our properties first, setting an intention uh, up front that we are going to lease our properties for 12 months, meaning lease option or lease purchase. Uh, and so instead of having the intention of going, going into the deal with selling the deal, we have the intention of actually renting on a, on a rent to own or lease, lease option type basis. Okay. So, um, that's going to, in that transaction, you're going to be creating a, uh, a lease and then a separate option contract or a separate purchase contract for a later date. Preferably the purchase is really what you want. You want the, you know, on the acquisition side, I'm sorry, on the disposition side where you're selling to someone who's eventually going to own the property, you really want to have a lease purchase in place. That is, that purchase contract is going to be your bilateral agreement that can be exercised at a later date, right? So, so one of the, one of the ideas and one of the, um, you know, this, this one would actually work for you. I, I would have no reason to believe that it wouldn't. And my, and also my CPA, this is what my CPA has recommended in the past is to go ahead and um, do what I just told you, sell it, sell it at a later date, go ahead and rent it for, for 12, for that 12 month period, and then convert that, um, that tenant into a buyer at the 12 month mark. It actually, it's actually, this is why we've given it serious thought because number one, it's, a little bit easier to um, to find a tenant buyer than it is to find a buyer. So on average, we spend about forty five days uh, finding a, the the right buyer for our properties. Okay, um, it's much easier to find someone out there who is looking for a rental or a rent to own type of situation. And so that's one of the reasons uh, that we, that we are looking at this model. And the other one's what I just told you is we set our intention right up front that this is going to be a rental. So, um, and that establishes your intent for that to be a, a rental property. The problem with it though, is that, um, generally the difference between a seller finance, a sale on seller financing and the lease option or lease purchase on that property is that, Generally speaking, it's a little bit tougher to get those, um, you know, if you sell your op option contract for a fee, it's a little bit tougher to, uh, to make that fee. Uh, that fee is not going to be near as high as a seller finance down payment. So you can require that, you know, let's say somebody buys that option contract from you. Um, and later on, they want to buy it. Now you can require both. You can say, Hey, uh, you know, I'll sell you this option contract for, I don't know, uh, $10,000. But you know, when I do ultimately sell or finance this house to you, I'm going to need another 10,000. So you can, you can break it up in chunks there. Um, it's just, I used to do lease options. So you know, as, as my business model, that was it when I dispoed. Um, so I would, I would lease option to a, to a tenant buyer. And ultimately what I found out was that, you know, right around tax time. Um, and I guess this also has, there's a lot that goes into this that, you know, a lot of it has to do with the areas that you're, that you're selling in or you're, 
you're uh, writing these lease options in. But I just found that, um, you know, ultimately that that model wasn't for me because uh, a lot of what I was, uh, so that option fee that I was taking in, a lot of it would just go to repairs anyway. And, you know, and almost no one exercised their their option. So, um, but it, this is an option for you. And, and I think we are going to look a little bit deeper into, uh, in my particular, in my business, we're going to look a little bit deeper into this uh, model so that we don't have this, uh, this dealer status always hanging around and we have to, you know, write these deductions and, and uh, even though we're still going to take those deductions, uh, it would benefit us even more if we were going into a rental type of scenario or a lease option type type of scenario, we can still take those deductions that would even further reduce our tax liability. So, so yeah, but to kind of get around dealer status, um, that is one going to be one of your options. All right. Another thing that we have to think about, let's see what we got here. Could we not have a surrogate dealer who we could JV with? And you know, I've never really given that a whole lot of thought, Jonathan. That's a really good, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, you say, could we not have a surrogate dealer who we could JV with? And I don't think it's going to matter because I, I do, but I mean, either way, even if you had a surrogate dealer, um, the tax liability is still the same. So, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, one of the things also that, um, that I would touch on is that, um, you know, a lot of our deals don't have a ton of equity in them. We actually create our equity when we sell. So you would have to really be mindful of, let's say, I, you know, I, I picked up a property at 90% of its, uh, at 90% of its value, 90% LTV. All right. So there's only 10% equity in this deal. So, and let's say I pick it up for a hundred, I'm sorry, I pick it up for 90. It's only worth a hundred and I turn around and sell it for 120. Well, you know, and maybe that area supports it. I guess what I'm really trying to say is it's just math. You're just going to have to figure out the math. And this is where a good, a good CPA can help you out and maybe point out areas where you can take those deductions. Um, so for us, it's not a huge deal. This is why we don't really care um, a whole lot about equity. Uh, it's a bonus, I guess. But um, but yeah, so it just, and and really the equity part isn't the important part. The important part is what you bought it for versus what you sold it for. So uh, just be mindful. I, just be mindful of that do the math and see if it works out. Uh, this is also going to put you in a position where you're going to have to figure out how much of a down payment that you have to have, right? So, um, so yeah, just do the math. Um, and the next one is, and I have not done this. I know people that have done this. Uh, I think it's incredibly complex um, because there are different uh, there are different tax reporting requirements. But a lot of people um, a lot of people start a C corp. This is the reason they start a C-Corp. And what they'll do is they'll let the C-Corp be the, um, 
since an, let me back up for a second. Since an LLC is a disregarded entity in the eyes of the IRS, you could not do this. You could not use a strategy using an LLC. <clears throat> so what you have to do is people, people will start a C corp. That C corp will become the dealer. All right. Um, whether the maintenance of a C corp is worth it to you is entirely up to you and entirely up to, um, you know, your, your strategy. But the thing about a C corp is, uh, corporate taxes are, are far less than what individual income taxes are. So, uh, your corporate tax rate is, I don't know. I don't even know what it is right now. I think it's 20, 20 ish percent, something like that. So if the C corp actually owned the seller finance properties and they, they were offering the financing on them, they're selling them on installments. The C corp would only be sub subject to the 20 ish percent in, uh, in corporate taxes. Right. And that would not trickle down to you um, as the individual on your individual return like it does with an LLC. So there is uh, there is that strategy as well. Um, and like I said, I know some people that that have that. It's just a, for me, that is a, you know, I like to run lean and mean. And so for me to have a C Corp um, is a little more of a It's more of a headache than what I'm willing to put up with. All right. So. Um, Hey, Hey, uh, Jonathan, I think, um, <laughs> I think on your, <laughs> I don't know if you're typing on your, uh, uh, typing on your phone or what, but that's twice you've put in Tom Akey. Oh, Tom. Oh, okay. That's a name. Okay. I thought that was a, I thought it was a misspelling. Okay. Can a C-Corp utilize the IRS installment sale method? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely they can. 100%. And um, you know what? You'll have to check about, you have to check on the S-Corp part of it. But if you're going to, if you are going to uh, uh, later file as an S-Corp, you know, if say if you're an LLC, and but you want, you're, you want to be designated as an S-Corp for, for tax purposes, I would definitely... Um, do a little bit of research, ask your, ask your tax professional, whether an S corp can actually can utilize, um, or if this can be done using an S corp, because that I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure on the S corp. I know the C corp can. Um, so I have a buddy, uh, well, several buddies that went through, um, uh, through the elite program. And so Anderson advisors, uh, would set them up with these big elaborate, um, these big elaborate uh, kind of corporate structures. And for me, it was just, was it, it just wasn't for me. It's just not, um, it's not something that I'm willing to, uh, I'm not willing to manage and I'm not really willing to, to pay to management, manage it, but, uh, but it can, it can be done definitely in a C corp for sure. All right. I'm going to throw something else out there. This is something I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to, uh, to even do this, but um, I have to, I actually have to check on this. I'm not sure that this would fly. I'm not sure that this would fly. So I, I, what I'm going to talk about are trusts a little bit more and quite possibly I will check with a CPA with my CPA on this. Um, so don't take this as gospel and do not, don't try and go out and use this without, uh, without consulting with a CPA. My I, kind of my idea on this on this one 
to get around this involves a trust. And so essentially, here's what we would do. Uh, and I kind of, I thought about this a lot because I've done some deals down in Texas where, um, you know, Texas, it's really tough to do lease options down there. You can do them. I don't know that the, um, I don't know that the, you know, how you have to manage that and comply with their laws is worth the effort, but good luck doing contract for deed down there. It is, uh, it's impossible. It's impossible to do, uh, to sell a property on installments on contract for deed in Texas. And so this is kind of where we came up with this idea. Um, the idea involves a trust and we kind of touched on it. I think maybe in the last video, uh, maybe the one before that, essentially what we do is we deed a property into a trust. All right. Uh, the property goes into the trust. Remember what we talked about, what is, what would beneficial interest be considered in a trust? It's considered personal property, right? It's not real property. Beneficial ownership in a trust is not real property. It is personal property. So imagine this. And again, I am, uh, I am advising you to talk to somebody about this because this is just an idea that, that uh, I have not uh, implemented yet. So imagine this. Imagine that you sell your personal property, which is your beneficial interest in a trust. Imagine you sell that to a buyer, an owner-occupied, an owner-occupant buyer of the property that you are wanting to sell on installments. Well, you're not selling the property on installments. What you're doing instead is you're selling your personal property, which is the beneficial ownership of that trust in installments. So it's a little bit different. Um, it, it, the it's a you're selling personal property versus real property. That's the big difference here. Okay. So, and again, I don't know that this is going to, uh, to fly, but you sell that personal property, that beneficial ownership, you sell that on installments, your security for that beneficial ownership is then, uh, and if you remember, we talked about this, a UCC one filing with the secretary of state, that's going to be the security for that personal property or that beneficial ownership. All right. So, uh, does that qualify you as a dealer? I not in the, at least on the surface, not in the sense that, uh, we're dealing with real property anymore because we're dealing with personal property. Uh, so that's just kind of an idea, something that I'm going to float out there, um, talk to some attorneys about and actually talk with uh, my tax guy about, because I do believe, um, at least, you know, at, at least logically that would make sense. That makes sense. You're selling personal property versus real property because the deed isn't changing hands. There is no installment sale on the real property. Okay. So, uh, again, I don't know if that would fly. I don't know how that would be looked at. Um, but because ultimately your trustee still owns the property, right? So yeah, uh, this was a very, very, um, this is a very good question because, uh, you know, a lot of folks will just go out there and willy nilly, um, you know, just start, start, uh, you know, employ this strategy of seller finance, this seller finance strategy, not really even realize the tax ramifications. So very good question, Jonathan. That was, uh, 
That was an excellent. And I know that uh, this one was a little, this video was probably a little bit, uh, or this live rather, was a little bit uh, kind of ad hoc and uh, what have you. But it's a very good question. It's a, um, it's something that needs to be talked about a little bit more. Uh, so let's quickly recap on this uh, dealer status versus investor status. Investor status, that's what you want. You don't want to be um, you don't want to become a dealer if you can all at all help it. If you are going to, if your intent when you purchase property is to immediately sell it or sell it within a year's time, then you are a dealer and you're going to have to figure out, you're going to have to learn the ins and outs of being a dealer. The good thing about being a dealer is that, um, we have a second call with an attorney and a few messages out to CPAs. We will share. Awesome. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, please do. Um, so if you, Jonathan, if you understand kind of that last, uh, that last scenario that I gave you with beneficial ownership, uh, maybe you can ask that question. I will ask my, my folks that same question and, uh, and we'll see what the consensus is. All right. So back to the, no, I'm not seeing Tom's questions at all. Um, is he on Facebook? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not seeing those questions. You know what? I had a uh, I had a security warning on my Facebook account. So maybe um, maybe it's not coming through here. I don't know. Um, okay. And I, and I didn't check Facebook before I jumped on here to see if the stream was live. So you guys would have to tell me that. So anyway... Quick recap, um, investor status versus dealer status. You want to be an investor status, but if you're flipping houses, uh, if you're selling on seller financing, you're a dealer. And so you've got to learn how to, uh, you've got to learn how to mitigate your, your, uh, your tax liability there. All right. And, um, that's just a, an education. That's all that it is. And the help of a really, really good, uh, CPA or tax strategist, uh, someone in that field that can help you with that. Um, the good things about being a dealer is that you do get to take, you know, you get to take deductions on uh, on your taxes for your capital expenditures, your repairs, all of that good stuff. Anything that you, any dollar that you put into um, other than capital expenditures, because those get uh, those get depreciated over time, but you know, your repairs, your utilities, all of that good stuff, you get to write that stuff off. Your your gas, your mileage, all of that stuff gets to be, um, comes into the equation if you are in dealer status. So it's just math. It's just math at that point. And you're going to figure out whether or not it's for you. Do you want to deal with it? Um, one of the ways that we can deal with it is we can put our, our seller finance properties out there as lease options or lease purchases first so that, uh, so that, and then we'll later on, we'll convert those tenants into buyers. So that would definitely set the intent um, for the next 12 months with, to be a, you know, for a rental property. So you wouldn't be subject to that, um, that ordinary income and that self-employment tax. All right. Um, one of the other ways we talked about was using a C-Corp. Now, I, this will not work with an, with an LLC, and I'm questionable whether it would work with an S-Corp. I'm just not familiar with uh, using S-Corp in, in that manner. Uh, but it definitely would work with a C-Corp. 
where the C corp becomes a dealer, and uh, you know there's a there's corporate tax versus uh, individual income tax and self employment tax. Right, so there's that. Um, then finally, we talked about this little um, idea. It was an, it was strictly an idea. I have no, I, I've not put it into play. Uh, I have not uh, used this strategy or attempted to use this strategy. Uh, it's just kind of out there right now as an idea in the ether. And that is to uh, sell personal property on installments versus selling the actual real estate on installments. So you're not using, um, you're not, you would be using a promissory note and a UCC one filing in that case. All right. Again, don't hold me to that. I don't know that that is, um, um, I don't know if that's, I, I wouldn't, I just don't know how the IRS would look at that. I really have no idea. So any other questions, anything else going on, any other topics? All right. All right, guys, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and end the call. We don't have anything else. Um, really quick. Let me, I'm going to throw this up here one more time. Uh, if you guys are in the St. Louis area or you'd be traveling to the St. Louis area, or maybe you would like to, uh, you know, uh, make a special trip to St. Louis. We are having on February 2nd through the 4th is our, uh, the ultimate creative REI blueprint. Uh, it's a three day event. Uh, it's going to be, we got some really great speakers coming in. We've got, um, I don't know if any of you know, David Dodge, David Dodge is coming in. He's a, I've, I've seen this guy's business grow crazy. I mean, the guy's just, they're doing really, really big things. And, uh, he's, uh, he's basically, and Dave is a, a marketing guy. Like he, they are so consistent on their marketing. They just do, uh, uh, a lot of great work. And so David's going to be joining us. And then we are going to have <clears throat> uh, Nick Legomaro. Some of you know, know Nick. Um, and in fact, I think Jonathan, I, I met you through Nick. Uh, but Nick runs Creative Dealmaker. And Nick is all about buying and selling notes, which for us is a uh, kind of a natural progression from what we do on the creative financing side into the note world, right? So, um, so it'd be really, really interesting, but Nick's going to be speaking, um, at this event as well. He's going to tell you all about these, uh, uh, about buying and selling notes. Uh, Nick is what he's doing is next level and it's awesome. It's really, really awesome. So, all right, guys, I think that's going to do it. Uh, I think that's all I have. Um, I guess if I missed anything on this topic, go ahead and throw it in the comments and we will uh, we'll do our best to get to your questions uh, as they pop up. All right, folks, I'm going to go uh, enjoy the rest of my Sunday. I want you to do the same. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time.